Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, today, my friends, I want to share with you some information that I came across yesterday while researching real estate deals for myself. Interesting concept. Um, I need a little tuning up on my portfolio, and I'm looking to put some more investments into my portfolio, so I'm looking around to buy something, right? So I spent the whole day, and it's interesting. I started looking at properties all over the country, and the reason I did that is because I was noticing that the deals, the prices, which would be relevant to the cap rate, cap rate is the rate of return on a deal if you had no mortgage on it. In other words, your income minus your expenses is your net operating income. That's how much money you would take home each and every year if you had no mortgage, right? But I started noticing the cap rates were much higher in in some other areas than where I live here in Houston, Texas. And I started wondering, hmm, wow, what is this? And what is making the difference between something having a higher cap rate and having a lower cap rate to the extent that it's quite a bit different, okay, which I had not noticed up till now. This is something new for me to notice. And uh, so I was very interested. So I took a lot of time and called around to a lot of different brokerage firms from a lot of different listings all over the country. And I tried to get around the country in different locations, north, south, east, west, etc., and sort of just stick my toe in the water and find out what was going on. And what I found was really amazing. It was really amazing. Now, before I go on with what I found, I looked up an article. So actually, some sent me the article, what it really happened. And it was an article about New York. And it was interesting because the article paralleled what I found to be true yesterday while talking to people all over the country. And it's the strangest thing in the whole world. Before I go into what it is, the premise that I'm going to share with you today, I want to go back to March. In March, I claimed that the COVID virus was going to take us down, that we were going to have another 2008-type recession, that we were going to be able to buy real estate, you know, 50 to 75 cents on the dollar again because people wouldn't pay their rent. And the, when no one pays their rent, then the landlords can't pay their mortgage, and then the mortgage companies will foreclose on it. Well, Trump, being a real estate investor, obviously was smart enough to figure out how to stop that from happening because it didn't happen. Now, what did they do to stop that? You need to understand what they did to stop it was, number one, they gave everybody $1,200 right up front to pay that next month's rent. That's what it basically came down to because that's about the average rent in this country. It's about $1,200 a month. In addition to that, they gave everybody $600 a month above unemployment, which is enough money to survive and to pay the rest of their bills and to put food on the table and so on and so forth. So people didn't feel the initial sting of losing their jobs. A lot of people also at that time had a paycheck still coming, right? So they had a paycheck coming and that got us through April. And then they had all this money come in from the government that got us through May. And then in June, we thought we were going to get devastated. But people seem to go to savings in June or something like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they said that you couldn't evict people in June. 
So now we're saying, well, even if they can't pay us, we can't get rid of them, so let's make arrangements and let people start paying as much as they can. And we made arrangements for people. But we found that in good rental scenarios where there was good product managed by good management, where the tenants liked where they lived and knew that they were going to have to either decide to pay and stay, or eventually, if they stopped paying, eventually what would happen is they'd have to come back and pay them on, on the back end or end up with dings on their credit, which good people don't want to do. So this pretty much stopped it. And um, quite honestly, then we had the resurgence of re- the reopening and we had, you know, whatever it was, I can't remember what it was, like three, four million jobs in one month on the reopening. And then all of a sudden people started getting happy feet and going, hey, we did it. We broke through it. We're on the other side of this thing. We're going to be able to survive. So again, people paid the rent. So I'm sitting here, you know, I've got, what is it now, six apartment complexes. And one of them is a class A, which is supposed to be the toughest thing to be renting right now because they're overbuilt and uh, it's the most expensive rent out there. So it's probably the most difficult to stay occupied. But yet, Our occupancy dipped a little bit each month and went down a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and and bottomed out at about 89 and then came back up, and now it's about 92. So we survived, and we continue to survive. But what's really going on out there is, like, I'm I'm thinking, is this what's going on with everybody, right? It's just never really, they were smart enough to break the syndrome. It didn't happen. They weren't letting mortgage companies foreclose on people that had Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans, so they weren't getting knocked out. And so there was no foreclosure business hitting the market where we could go out and buy 50 cents on the dollar. Now, what happens if we go out and buy 50 cents on the dollar? You have to understand this because this is what happened in 2008. I bought $35,000 door property for $25,000. Then I bought one for $19,000. Then I bought one for $14,000. Then I bought one for $8,000. And each time as I bought cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, I put hard, I put more and more pressure on the other owners in those neighborhoods because I could afford to lower my rents and still make the same profit I was making before, which then put additional stress on the landlords that are there that can't do that because they've got a big mortgage and paid a higher price and they have more debt service to cover and more taxes to cover, et cetera, et cetera. And so the cycle was that as I did that, in fact, in one property where I bought the property for $8,000 a door, I think it was, I was all in for $8,000 I think I turned around creating on that very street, three more apartment complexes went into bankruptcy. And, of course, I got all their tenants, and I bought my property at only 28% occupied, kicked out all 28% because they're all felons and and criminals and prostitutes and drug dealers, got rid of all 28%, went down to zero, brought it back up to 100% in 18 months, and put three properties on the street out of business. Why? Because the good tenants in those other apartment complexes didn't want to live in those bad apartment complexes uh, with all those bad tenants and pay high prices, where they could come live at a place like mine with a brand new unit, lower price rent, and more stringent screening so that there wasn't prostitutes and drug dealers and child molesters and stuff living in in that same complex. And so the result of that was my place filled up full over 18-month period of time. And by the way, that was at the project that uh, Johnny Lama Ridgeway and I did together. Just give him a little credit because he was the on-site guy. Uh, his team ran that. And 
Then after that happened, we put these other guys out of business, right? And one of the worst things Johnny and I ever did, and we, we told ourselves at the time that we did it, which was the biggest mistake we ever made, was that these properties were selling for $35,000 to $50,000 a door. We bought in at eight. When we put the other three out of business, we came back and offered them $17,000 a door for them. And the guy said, no, we just sold them for 27000 a door. So you understand it was a $35,000 door property and somebody bought it for twenty seven, got a heck of a deal, but we bid seventeen because we had just bought one for eight. And our mind was frozen in that eight category. In other words, we thought, man, the market had moved a lot more than what we had thought it had moved, but we just happened to find an absolute perfect deal, probably the cheapest deals we've ever bought during the 2008 recession, probably the best deal ever done. I'm I just say that unless somebody can prove me wrong. I mean, you know, it's a thirty-five to $50,000 door property, had $35,000 a door worth of debt, so it means it's worth more than that. And we picked it up for $8,000 a door. I mean, you think about that. What I now see happening, because I see something different, different than what I thought I was going to see in March. And so with that, I went out searching for deals, trying to find out why there was much better cap rates in some other parts of the country than where we had here in Houston and what the difference was. And it wasn't very long before I started to understand. The more I spoke to different people and then I cross-referenced the the material one person would tell me with the material another person would tell me, it started to become clear. And what was becoming clear was there were parts of the country— that were starting to fall apart. There were parts of the country people were moving out of. There were parts of the country that businesses were going out of business in. And I don't know if you could just hazard a guess where those are. Now let's think, hmm, where would I not want to own a business? Let's see. How about a city where they don't think it's illegal for criminals to come and burn your business to the ground. Hmm, interesting. Broker after broker told me, you can buy stuff 50 cents on the dollar if you go to liberal cities. Yes, liberal cities are destroying business. Come on, folks, think about it for just a second. If you owned a business, do you want to own one where they can just come up and burn it down and they're not even going to go to jail for it? That the police won't even try to stop them? Now, when they burnt all these other cities down, Houston didn't burn down. I talked to one broker who said his sister lived in New York. And she was going to college in New York. And their dorm, you know, and in New York buildings, apartments go up and down their high rises. And he said his sister has his dorm and she could look out her window and see this college dorms across the street from her. And down below, there was a CVS that they burnt to the ground. She said within two days, her roommate moved out, canceled her apartment, canceled her college Decided not to take it anymore. And uh, she said, I could look across the street now and look into the windows where there used to be lights in every window at night. And now there's almost none. It's just pitch black dark. People and jobs are leaving. And they will be a shell. I figured out real quick why all these cap rates were so high. Because nobody wanted to be there. 
<laughs> I go, golly, where did I see this? New York, Illinois. And you guys spent your way into oblivion. You guys filled your city up with people that want something for nothing, that won't work to earn money. You guys can't pay for your own problems. We don't want to pay for them for you. And when I come back, let's talk about what that's doing to businesses and where you should be investing. We'll take a short break. Be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want to continue the conversation inside the community? Follow Lifestyles Unlimited on Facebook. Stay up to date on upcoming events, market trends, member stories, featured podcasts, real estate wisdom, and more. You can even join us a couple of times a month as we go live with our case study events right on Facebook from the comfort of your home. Get online and get in the know. Turn listening on the radio into participating in the community. Like and follow Lifestyles Unlimited on Facebook today. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today and yesterday and the day before, I've been following what's going on in the country. And uh, quite honestly, um, you know, everybody's got an opinion on this stuff and you should look at all sides before you make any decisions in your life. And I was looking for, you know, investments for myself is where this primarily started from. It was based on the fact that I thought there wasn't going to be any recession anymore. In fact, in other words, I predicted massive recession. I didn't get it. I've already admitted I was wrong. The government made some plays. Donald Trump did some incredible things to stop it from happening. In fact, you guys don't even understand how how incredible the stuff was that he pulled off because we should have had a massive recession and we didn't and now I'm going out there looking around seeing that there's one starting but it's starting where in liberal cities and liberal states why well I said earlier I, I made a comment that's uh, one of those throw out comments or throw down comments which really mean nothing it's just a, a one of those conventional sayings and is that I guess I think it's a Rush Limbaugh saying it says um, Liberalism is a sickness. It, it, it might be Mark Levin. Give credit, whoever credit due to it. But it's one of those things, you know, it's just a made-up statement. It says, okay, liberalism is a sickness, right? And I've heard almost every talking head on the Republican side say that. But is it? So I call up a friend of mine that is a very smart individual, good business guy, and I talk to him. And I said, look, comrades prevail here. I'm watching the Democratic Convention, and I'm seeing nothing. I see no plan to make the country better. So I called this guy and said, look, you, you're a staunch liberal. Tell me what is going on. What do you guys really think? I said, we're all out here scared to death. You're going to destroy the country. And he said, yeah, nah, that's not going to happen. He said, uh, here's the thing is the Republicans are terrible with money. And I said, what do you mean they're terrible with money? We had the best economy we ever had. Ah, he said he inherited that from uh, Obama. And, you know, you just got to gulp and go, okay, whatever, which is not true. You know, Obama had real problems. His unemployment was stuck at 6%. Trump blew that away in so many other ways. The government, the economy went up. Now, let's not give it all credit to, to Trump, but let's do give due credit to the Republicans getting rid of a lot of the things that are impediments to business. Taxation going away, which is an impediment to investment. 
And so he won't admit any of the, the good stuff, but I, he said, so I really think the Democrats are better. We've always had better economies when the Democrats run the country. I don't know where he's getting this. I mean, these people live lies. But moving on, I still wanted to hear his opinion. I said, so what's going to change? And he said, well, there's no reason for you to have assault weapons. He says, I don't know why you even want one of those AR-15s. He goes, I don't care about your pistols and your shotguns and your hunting rifles. He says, but why should anybody have a you know, military assault rifle? I said, okay. And I didn't argue with him because there's no reason to argue. I was trying to get his opinion. I said, okay, so they're going to take away our guns. What else? And then he, he he showed how ignorant he was of this. He goes, no, they're not going to take away your guns. They can't do it. They've tried before. No, they did. They passed a no assault weapon ban for a couple of years. And who did that? Joe Biden. So I didn't tell him that because he didn't want to hear it. He's a liberal. They don't want to hear the facts. Facts are inconvenient truths they don't want to hear. I said, so what else are they going to do? He goes, they're going to raise the taxes. And I said, so you're telling me as a liberal, you are going to vote to raise your taxes? He goes, oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, we need to pay our fair share. He goes, I go, what? He goes, well, you know we don't pay our fair share because of what we're doing, the very fact that we're investing in real estate and all the tax advantages that we have, we don't pay our fair share. And then I realized it. The insanity bug was in his brain. This was a friend of mine an intelligent individual with a sickness in his brain. And by the way, what he doesn't understand is that I still pay millions of dollars in taxes. I pay more taxes than anybody you know, probably. Probably more than five or ten of you put together. So, well, why does it sound like you, you don't pay any taxes? Because because my real estate investments don't pay any tax. My businesses pay massive taxes. I own a consulting company. pays massive taxes. I have a salary. I pay massive taxes. I own four real estate companies. I pay taxes. I own two software companies. I pay taxes. And then I own six apartments, and I don't pay taxes. And so if you took the totality of my income and put the tax benefits from the real estate onto them, my rate of tax is probably as low as someone else who just has an average job. But I still pay millions of dollars of taxes. So, the guy is out of his mind. Do you not see the sickness that is worming through his brain, eating the microchondria out of there to where there's nothing left to think with? They have convinced themselves that paying more taxes is a good thing. Man, when we already pay massive amounts of taxes, all of us do. And the people at the bottom don't pay any taxes at all. If you really knew how tax rates work with the progressive tax structure, people at the bottom don't pay taxes. In fact, people at the bottom actually have negative taxes. They get food stamps, welfare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not caring about that. That's fine. The, the world has decided that's the way it should be. And if they get in power and they change it and make it even more so, where there's more stuff taken from the rich and given to the poor, okay. The point I'm making is the liberal brain is a distorted, polluted mess. And so if you live in a city filled with people with distorted, polluted brains, and you tell them you don't have to, you can't get evicted if you don't pay rent. If you tell those kind of people you can't get evicted if you don't pay rent. If you tell those kind of people that, they're not going to pay rent. When the landlords don't get rent, 
they're just going to give up. They're going to move out. Because these are not the type of people that make up Texas. These are not the kind of people that live in my neighborhood, that live in the neighborhoods around me, that populate most of the places that I go. These are completely different kind of people. And by the way, if you buy businesses where these people live, they will burn your business to the ground. And they won't pay you as they steal your product out of your store and or steal your occupancy by not paying for their rent. And that, my friends, is why you can buy these properties for such cheap prices. Cheap prices are referred to as high cap rates. In other words, supposedly, you're buying this at such a low price, the rate of return on your investment is going to be very, very high. The problem is, it's going to be very, very high until it's zero. When the building is burnt down around you, or the tenants don't pay, and the government is not on your side. That, my friends, is what I found out over the last day and a half to two days. And watching the conventions and seeing that two people have already admitted, and this is Casio-Cortez and uh, also Bernie Sanders have admitted, we're putting Joe in there as a figurehead, and then we are going to push him to the left as far as we possibly can. And he is just a Manchurian president. He's not even real. He won't even make any decisions. I am just saying that I wouldn't want to own real estate in a liberal city. They seem to be at the edge of total disaster right now. And uh, you, you see the fact that the, they've got no money. They're going bankrupt. They have no one to tax. People are leaving. Businesses are leaving. The reason businesses are leaving is because people are leaving the, and because people are allowing their businesses to be destroyed and because government's allowing people to not pay for the products they're stealing from the stores and or uh, the rent that they're not paying in their housing. And in those neighborhoods, those people don't really care because they're liberals and liberals don't care, right? So it's a, which comes first, chicken or the egg? I ask that question all the time in life. Which comes first? And the liberal environment? I don't think so. I think it's liberal people. Then liberal people create the liberal environment. The liberal environment destroys everything. And then liberal people get mean. And so are liberal people mean by nature? I don't know. Think about it. How many liberal people do you know and how mean are they? Maybe we're wrong. But I'll tell you this. Whenever I have a problem in any of my businesses, it's always a liberal person that just thinks that the world should be handed to them on a silver platter, which brings me to an email I thought was really interesting today. This person sent me this email. I have not responded to the email, nor have I uh, gotten the permission to, to read the email. So I'm not going to use their name, and I'm not going to try to do everything I can to cover up who it might be. It says, Hi, Dell. It's been in my heart since I was young, in my 20s, to think outside of the box. And I've always loved real estate, okay? That's 20s. Now think about that. I'm going to come back to that later. Dreamed of investing. Now I'm 61, healthy and active. I'm no longer working the rat race, and hubby is in sales with Rockwell. I've had many setbacks, but it's never crushed my spirit or dreams. 
owned a couple of very small businesses, which helped me acquire some financial knowledge and husband studied accounting while getting his business degree. What we lack is investment knowledge. Okay. So nothing there is, you know, really too offsetting. Goes on and says, to the point, we have finally paid off all bills and have a decent 401 and a minimal 30K in savings and doing nothing. Laugh out loud. We're now handling our monthly expenses with some left over. But the burning desire that has always been there to invest in real estate, it consumes me. Okay? Goes on. It's now become less scary to invest to secure our future, but mainly we want to enjoy life. I stumbled across the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, enjoyed it, and got the mindset of the book and agreed. Conventional approaches are not getting us anywhere. One thing led to another over the last few months, and Hubby asked if we had if I'd be interested in attending a Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Workshop, the map to retirement in five years or less that he had heard on the radio. That must be us. I registered and will be on it tonight. Just listen to your podcast, The Five Ways to Make Money with Real Estate, and it was amazing. All right? So now she's getting bit by how positive all this stuff is, right? Then she goes on and says, so the reason of this email... Can we invest with little or nothing to start? There it is. What kind of mentality is that? The something for nothing, the little or nothing to invest. Now, they have enough money to buy all the stuff they want. They have enough money to fund a 401k. They have enough money to pay off their home. They have enough money for everything else. But it is uncomfortable for them to take money out of their life and invest it. Now remember, they're in a 401k. The 401k is earning them zero. How do I know that? I will bet you, if we go and look at their situation, that the 401k has not paid them a dime since they started the 401k. How do I know that? Because it's a fact. Until you take the money out of the 401k, you are losing money to the 401k. So quite easily, and by the way, she hasn't taken the class yet, she's going to find out that all you need to do is liquidate that 401k and boom, you've got money and you can invest. $30,000 as a savings position is a short, a minimal amount of savings, but you even could invest with that if you wanted to. She goes on and says, we have excellent credit and no debt other than our mortgage and don't want to have to drain savings as our mental security blanket, but we realize it's not really our security. So she gets it, do you understand? She's right on the edge of getting it, but she hasn't been to the class yet. What we're hoping is, is that when she gets to the class, she's gonna be able to take that next step and understand that that money sitting in the 401k doing nothing can do something for them. She goes on and says, P.S., unusual how life works. We met Lifestyles members about eight years ago, and we brought our precious Chloe dog from them. Lifestyles is right in front of our face, and now here it's a different opportunity. So in other words, they had met somebody from Lifestyles. They bought a dog from somebody, and they told them all about Lifestyles, and it was very apparent what they were missing, and they put it off eight years ago. Wanted to do something since they're 20. Didn't do anything until they're 60. How many of you have lived a life like that? Where you've spent your whole life wishing you could do something? 
I'm going to leave you with this today, and I've only got about a minute left, and that's this. I'm 63 years old and a half, going to be 64. I've told people my whole life I wouldn't live past 65 because every male in my family died by 65. I'm at that point now where I have so many different sicknesses and diseases, it doesn't look like I'll make it past 65. But I'll tell you this, I've lived every ounce of any person that ever lived to 90. I've had it all, done it all, been it all, and thank God I lived life completely. I just wish and hope that some of you can see that if you're going to wait 60 years to start a project, it's probably a little too long to wait. And remember, we're not doing this just to have a few more dollars. We're doing this for an incredible lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past your podcasts, and join the conversation. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.